We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. All right, welcome back, Hornets fans and BuzzBeat listeners. I'm your host, Spencer Percy, and along, me, along with me, as always, is my co-host, Richie Randall. So we got plenty to discuss today. Uh, we got a Kimba Walker being named, in, excuse me, being named an Eastern Conference All-Star. This is the first one since Gerald Wallace in 2010 for Charlotte. Uh, Hornets are on yet another losing streak. And we're also going to talk about some of the ACC's best draft prospects, uh, potentially a conversation the Hornets are going to have to start having here pretty soon. Uh, so, Richie, how are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. I guess I could be doing a little bit better with the way that you know the Hornets have been playing lately. Uh, my uh, wife and I went out to uh, drinks before the game, uh, so I had to watch that game on delay. Maybe I should have had drinks after the game, after watching that one. Yeah, before and after would have been very fitting, uh, but just be happy you didn't have to... You didn't have to watch that game live, and you could rewind and fast-forward, or fast-forward, rather, as you pleased. Um, so today, we've got a really special guest with us. Actually, the first guest we've had so far on BuzzBeat. Um, so Brian Geisinger is with us from Sports Channel 8. Um, so they kind of cover all of North Carolina. If you, if you follow Sports Channel 8 on Twitter, uh, you might be uh, pleased with it, with the fantastic ACC Uh, recap, GIF recap, let me say. If you've never seen one of those, you have got to go. Go follow at Sports Channel 8 and find a way to look at one of the ACC sports or ACC basketball GIF recaps. So it's just basically a recap of all ACC basketball in a GIF format. And it's it's the funniest thing on the internet in North Carolina. So if you haven't seen that, 
go see that now. Brian is kind of, I would say, like a stats Jedi on Twitter for everything Hornets. I mean, he's got some of the, the best, most in-depth uh, analysis and stats for the Charlotte Hornets. So Richie and I have been wanting to bring him on for a while, so we're really glad that he's finally here with us. If you're not following him, go ahead and do that. He's at B-G-E-I-S underscore bird on Twitter. Uh, so Brian, it's great to have you, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm I'm honored to be the the first guest, and I will pass along to my guy, the Weather Moose on Twitter. He's kind of the curator of those of those GIF recaps, and uh, he's kind of the Picasso of of that and of Photoshop. And he will be he's a vain guy too, so he'll be very flattered uh, with the with the the praise there. But would have liked to have seen a, a Hornets victory last night. Uh, we're in kind of another one of those rough patches, but. Overall, doing pretty well, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on here today. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so I actually passed along the uh, the NC State GIF uh, recap of when they beat Duke and Durham to one of my buddies who is, a, is an avid uh, Pac fan and went to NC State, and he replied, and he was like, wow, man, that's literally everything that I felt in 40 minutes of basketball that night. So, all right, guys, well, let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, so once again, we got a lot to cover today, and I think the logical place to start uh, would probably be well, the logical place to start would probably be the Kimpa uh, being named an all-star, but I think we're actually going to start with the Golden State game, recap that game, a game that really looked like the Hornets could have won, maybe should have won, uh, but Golden State kind of flexes their muscle there in the fourth quarter. The Hornets go cold and end up losing that game by 10. Uh, the bright spots in that game, you know, I thought Kimba obviously played well. He might have outplayed Steph. Hornets, I thought they defended the three-point line really good against an obviously powerful uh, Golden State shooting team. Overall defense, I thought it was pretty good from Charlotte that night. Uh, guys, let's start with you, Richie. What are some of the things you took away from the Golden State game? And we'll get into Clifford's comments as well. But some of the things you said, okay, look, we played the best team in the league, maybe one of the best teams the league's ever seen, and we competed and really had, you know, gave ourselves a chance to win the game. What are some of the things you took away as positives? As positives, I, I would definitely say um, defense uh, for most of the part. You know, most of the game. You know, we did defend the three point line to a certain extent. I don't think I wouldn't say that that was the one place that they killed us in. Um, but then again, I don't think it was that all. You know, outstanding. I think the pick and roll game was very difficult with with Golden State because when you have to guard that, they have shooters everywhere, and if you're trying to fight through the screens and you get behind, uh, they're going to have an open shooter somewhere. And Hibbert was not fit to play this game uh, with these high pick and rolls. There was a lot of times in which Curry came off a high pick and roll, and you know Hibbert, that his natural self, just just drops back, and then um, Curry would you know chuck up those threes, and he did he did all right uh, with the three point shot. Other than that, it was pretty much just all Kimba. Uh, a lot of his points came out on drives to the rim, and he's getting really good at that like inside hand layup. Uh, if you know what I mean, like where he's dribbling it with his right hand, he's got his, you know, shielding the defender, and then he just kind of goes straight up. You know, it saves some time in that way, and he did a good job of getting into the paint. Yeah, I thought so, and you're right about that that layup. He he gets it to his right hand, and another thing, kind of piggyback off that comment, um, Richie, is when he comes off that ball screen, Kim has done really good at throwing the ball out in front of him. So, you know, the defender, if they swipe at it, really they're just going to swipe at his hand. He throws the ball out. He's quick enough to go get it, keeps it in that right hand, and flips it right up there. Brian, uh, a few takeaways on the positive uh, side of things from this game for you. 
I thought uh, MKG was fantastic. Uh, he's been on kind of a kind of a roll recently. Uh, he was aggressive earlier. Golden State was giving him that kind of free safety look where I, I think Draymond was matched up with him for a few possessions, and Golden State likes to do this where they want Draymond to be able to kind of roam the courts. So if they're playing Oklahoma City, he'll guard uh, Andre Roberson, and he was kind of doing that with MKG. And I thought Mike made him pay with a mid-ranger and got involved with, with some cuts and offensive rebounds, which is kind of how he looks for his offense. But 15 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 9 boards, 2 blocks. He was one of only two Hornets with a positive net rating, uh, Hibbert being the only other one. And I thought he did a great job on on Clay Thompson. So I would kind of highlight Mike as having a a good game, but that's just kind of what we've come to expect the last, the last few weeks from him. I thought Kemba had a nice game too. I thought he played – I thought he and Steph uh, – neither he and Steph had their best games, but I thought he played them – maybe kind of a toss-up and that's just what you can kind of expect from Kemba these days he's he's not going to get outplayed really by by any of the top guys and he's been better at times than Kyrie this year Lillard Kyle Lowry Reggie Jackson Isaiah Thomas so it was just another another time where you got to see him go heads up against one of the one of the best in the world and again I thought he held his I thought he held his own so those were definitely some of the positives I would take away Uh, the starting lineup that you know, no Cody Zeller, unfortunately, and I'm guessing that's something we'll get to. But the starters with Roy Hibbert, uh, a net rating of almost 25 points, uh, plus 25 in 16 minutes, and those start the four normal starters plus Hibbert scored over uh, better than 1.3 points per possession, which is really, really, really good. I mean, that would be the best offense in the NBA by a mile. Kemba, Kid Gilchrist, Frank Kaminsky, Spencer Hawes, and Bellinelli scored. A better than 1.2 points per possession, and they played at a really fast pace, which I thought was interesting. About 110 possessions per game. So uh, those were some of the some of the good parts that I took from uh, this this game. Starters played great, especially MKG. And to, to kind of go off Brian's point, I feel like our lineup, our best lineup, has been our starting lineup for the past you know month. So all right. these bench lineups that we've been you know tinkering with. Uh, if you look at their net rating, it's not been good. It's always been the starters, and that's kind of been the difficulty with this team. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and Brian, I also really like your point about MKG. I mean, I thought he was awesome. Uh, all of a sudden, here in the last week and a half, um, you know, ish, he, he's finishing at the rim. And not only that, but he just looks much more confident and aggressive when he makes the the move towards the rim. You know, he, he's, he's, fin- he's dunking more often. He's not, Richie, we've yeah. talked about it. He's not really hunting that contact. You know, he's, he's focusing on when he gets in the air, when he gets close to the rim, go ahead and finish. So you're there, dunk it or or lay the ball off the glass. Do not worry about the the extra body or the help defender, you know, coming in. Just go ahead and finish the play. You're strong enough and skilled enough to do it. And he's been doing a really good job at finishing at the rim uh, here in these probably the last three or four games. I would say probably definitely in the last three games. Um, but yeah, so I've been really impressed with that on MKG. And then the confidence to just keep letting the uh, mid range jumper go. Uh, Brian, you could probably touch on that with some stats. I, th- I think actually yeah. maybe you had something the other day on on his, his mid-range jumpers recently. Yeah, in the last last 20 games here, from 15 to 19 feet, uh, MKG 47%, from 16 to 24 feet, 42%. Over the last seven games here, his averages 11 points, 9 rebounds, 3 of those offensive, 48% field goal percentage, 1.6 assists, 1.4 blocks, and an 85% clip from the free throw line. He's been he's been fantastic. And as you can see, that that jumper, the mid-range, he, he makes it enough 
that teams have to at least honor it. And if he if they don't, he's going to make it one out every two times, which is a nice a nice weapon to have. Yeah, they, they still aren't they still aren't respecting him from out there. I mean, which is probably oh, true right. for the most part. But yeah, he's getting those open looks. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. Definitely. They're not. They're they're not. They're right. Teams are still not going to you know actively take that away, and they're not even going to pretend like it's a real thing. And that will probably continue for a while. But you know, the other thing is that the MKG he he's a top three cutter in the NBA, and, and not the way he cuts, but but the way he understands where the cut should come from and when it should come. So he he's, you know, just a minute ago, Brian was kind of explaining Draymond's role on the court as kind of the free safety. MKG's really good at watching the eyes of that mm-hmm. free safety guy, that one sagging to the paint. When that guy turns his eyes and Kimba goes on dribble penetration or, or Batum or whoever it is, but um, MKG goes baseline right behind the guy. That's how he gets a lot of his layups. So, you know, you can sag off of him and pretend like he's not out there, but there are enough counters for the Hornets. We just mentioned MKG's improved mid-range jumper. We just impre- uh, mentioned, you know, his improved ability to finish at the rim. And then the way he cuts in this high IQ there, you know, it, the Hornets can make you pay if you help off of him. He's not just a guy standing out there offensively. Yeah, I'll, say, I'll add this too. Uh, MKG off of cuts this season, uh, 1.21 points per possession, shooting 60% from the field. Which is which is pretty darn good. If you turn your back to him, he's going to go straight to the rim. He burned, uh, I believe, Courtney Lee last night, uh, at least uh, one, on one occasion, where Lee turned his back and he just zipped straight to the rim there. Exactly. So really good to see from MKG, um, and probably the, really the bright spot here in another Hornets three-game losing streak we've seen recently. MKG, not the reason for that. He's really played strong and played great defense against some really good players. All right, so low points of this game. You know, I thought a few things that I noted. The Hornets turning the ball over. Uh, let's see. They had for 14, that game I think. 14 turnovers. I mean, that's going to get you beat against most teams if you're Charlotte, but especially Golden State. Uh, so I thought the, tur- the turnovers – you know, I, Kevin Durant. I don't know if it's a low point. He's just he, the guy's just unguardable. You know, at times he kind of gets his goes goes for thirty three. Yeah, I thought the bench. I mean, we're going to talk about it again later. But and Richie, you mentioned it a minute ago. It's, you just can't survive with those guys. You can't survive with Hawes, Bellinelli, Kaminsky. These guys on the floor for extended minutes. I mean, we we don't. It's just proven. Like you can't survive with them. And the Hornets again couldn't do it in extended uh, extended time against Golden State on Wednesday. So those are some of the things that I had. Um, Richie, anything that I didn't mention there? No, I would agree. I just kind of piggyback off your 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 another you know, bench pitfalls there. The second quarter, they scored 19 points, had six turnovers, allowed seven fast break points, and had an offensive rating of 73.1. I mean, that that's awful. You know, you know that, that's kind of typical of our second quarters, just bad offensive play. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, um, I want to want to ask you here what, mm-hmm. you know, when you watch the bench against Golden State and in, in all these games, you know, what do you see? Do you see a lineup that you think works best? I mean, does Clifford, I guess here's a better way to ask it. Does Clifford need to stagger these starter minutes where he almost has two starters on the floor at all times uh, because he still hasn't done it when he has done it with like a Batum Marvin out there with a collection of three bench guys you know obviously that stops the bleeding to an extent but are we at the point where like that has to become kind of an an all-time thing because I think we've seen if four of those bench guys are out there together it's it's just death I, I couldn't agree more I mean what's the definition of insanity right doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results when you do the when you do the bench four plus Batum or plus MKG, like you just highlighted, 
it, it gets pretty ugly, uh, specifically against Golden State. Uh, Batum with the bench, that's Sessions, Kaminsky, Hawes, and uh, Bellinelli. They scored uh, 36 points per 100 possessions, which is just is just terrible. Uh, they mm-hmm. had a net of minus 84 points per 100 possessions in six minutes. Also against Golden State, the bench four, but with MKG as opposed to Batum, 77 points per 100 possessions, a net rating of minus 46. And I think that was in a probably, I think, four minutes of action. Um, I would like to see them stagger minutes a little bit more. I thought during the home stretch where they had a little bit of luck, I noticed, I, I wasn't exactly time stamping this, but I thought Clifford was actually bringing Marvin back in earlier and then subbing Marvin out with the around the last, maybe like the last two minutes of the first half and was bringing Kaminsky back in to run with the starters. And that that's a lineup, a five-man group. That actually has a pretty good uh, point differential this year. And then he was getting Marvin back in to kind of, uh, you know, kind of in support of either Batum or MKG, just so there were uh, more, at least two starters on the court at all times. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. If you follow this team, you know, if those four, Clifford plays a, a, a nine man rotation, uh, especially with Lamb out of the lineup, and him coming, Jeremy Lamb coming back should help a little bit too. But when it's four of those bench guys, it, it, it gets real ugly real quickly, especially when Zeller's out. And then you're cutting into your depth yeah. even more. And, uh, yeah, it, I think they got to get a little more creative, whether that's to just totally mix it up and play smaller and just keep – you know, to have, to have more of these guys on the court at the same time. You play MKG at the power forward a little bit more. You play Kaminsky at the five a little bit more along with mm-hmm. Marvin. Whatever you got to do, you got you to mix it up a little bit here if I'm Clifford. And I think they should have tried – I love Steve Clifford. I kind of wish this was something he had maybe explored a little bit more uh, a couple weeks ago, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to save some of this conversation till later. But that last point you made, and, and Richie and I have talked about the Marvin thing coming in, playing with the bench, noticing the difference because he can give you a lot on both ends of the floor, um, yeah. you know, as opposed to a guy like MKG out there with the bench. But so in, in the Houston game, when Charlotte made that massive comeback and Clifford was out there yeah. with, with Marvin really at the four and Kaminsky at the five, but he had Marvin. On um, oh, I forgot Harrell, the Harold. Harold. He had him on Harold. So which was the so basically Marvin is the quasi de- defensive center yeah. in that case. Mm-hmm. So you can put him yeah. into the pick and roll defense situations, and then you move Kaminsky onto you know the the corner spacer or or the right. four or whatever it is. That had a ton of success against James Harden. Really, you know, one of the best ball handlers, probably the best ball handler and pick and roll creator in the NBA. I don't know why. Clifford has not gone back to that or experimented with that. That would have worked again last night. Uh, with, I mean, Kyle O'Quinn is not an overimposing, cent, you know, behemoth center yeah. that you can't stick Marvin on and say, you know, go get in this guy's space, blitz ball screens. We don't have to respect his role to the point where you know it terrifies us. I don't know why he hasn't uh, why he hasn't redis- you know rediscovered or or at least tried that more often because it had so much success in that comeback in Houston. But we're going to discuss this bench stuff a little bit more later. The last thing I wanted to ask you guys, did Kimba outplay Steph on Wednesday night? I think it was a wash. I really do. I mean, I think that Curry's not the greatest defender, and I think that Kimba kind of burnt him a couple times on pick and rolls and getting and getting to the rim. And But I wouldn't say that he outplayed him uh, like significantly. It was just more of a wash to me. And I, he did have that one play where – it looked like he broke his ankles, but I think Steph just kind of stepped on you know the screener's foot. But other than that, I mean, it, it seemed like a wash to me. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to agree with with Richie there. I thought Kemba played well. 
again, like I kind of said, um, I'm kind of harping back to what I said earlier. At the worst, he's going to play all these guys, all these the best players in the world as a, as a toss up. I thought he got some good looks out of uh, those horn sets. That that's that's an automatic. Kemba, if he dribbles left off that, he's going to shoot a three, or he can get to his spot in the mid range. And I thought he burnt uh, Golden State with that a couple times uh, the other night. And I would like to before we move on, two other quick. I, I, meant, I failed to mention these earlier. Two other quick. Just real quick, uh, positive observations from the Golden State game. I thought Charlotte did a really nice job attacking Golden State switches. Uh, they were trying to switch everything, and I thought with some slips and some cuts, mm-hmm. Charlotte was able to get some some nice some nice looks at the hoop. And I thought the big to big passing was also pretty good. Spencer Hollis had five assists uh, in in the game <laughs> against Golden State too. So I just wanted I, I meant to mention those things earlier. So a couple other positives to take from the from the loss to the Warriors the other night. It was weird though. They were switching not on picks, but they were switching like on these cuts from like Bellinelli, who was coming up for like yeah. a three, which like, yeah. I, I didn't understand. And then you had these backdoor passes that were wide open. It happened in the Knicks game too. Yep. Yeah. I, it, so the Hornets did a really good. Well, the Golden Golden State is so good at taking away the three point line. And if you yeah. see how they switch those ball screens, they switch them. You know, they don't they don't go under. Or over, I mean, they switch it right there at the three-point line. So as soon as you know, as soon as that guy's coming off the, the ball screen or the dribble handoff, the guy is not guarding him in a flat situation, so to speak, but he's actually facing him face to face. So, um, you know, the Hornets came into that game knowing, okay, we want to get five out as much as possible, five guys outside of the three-point line, and we run these dribble handoffs with Spencer, bring Bellinelli off these staggers and pin-down screens. You know, the guy setting the screen or the guy with the dribble handoff just sprint to the rim. And uh, if their weak side help is not there or just a little bit lackadaisical, we're going to get layups. Uh, and they did plenty of that uh, against Golden State. And they also got some of that against New York last night. Hall's got yeah. that. Wide open layup late in the game with Batum made that you know incredible bounce pass. It was the same kind of action, just slip right to the rim after a five out action, uh, and you can get layups. That's how you get Spencer Hall's engaged right there. <laughs> so, all right, so let's move to last night. Uh, so we're recording this on a Saturday morning, so we're fresh off of a brutal uh, New York loss last night in MSG. Uh, Richie, I'm going to start with you. Probably the most frustrating Hornets game I've had to watch all year. Uh, it felt like a game the Hornets really needed. They're right there, up six with under five minutes to go, and they can't close the game out. What's the most frustrating aspect of that loss for you? I'm not sure. It was just an odd game to watch because I felt like, you know, even though we never pulled away from the Knicks, I felt like we were in control of the game. Like I don't feel like the, I don't feel like the lead got like that great on our end. But in that fourth quarter where we just stalled for like five minutes, it was like, okay, guys, we got to put them away, put them away. And that's looking back at the previous quarters, maybe we should have expanded the lead a little bit more because I feel like we were just kind of going through the motions. We were playing against the Knicks. And that fourth quarter, they came back. Uh, and Courtney Lee, uh, you know, scoring all those baskets against his old team, you know, sparked their offense. And then they kind of had a uh, deja vu with uh, Carmelo Anthony hitting that, that dagger on the left side. So it was frustrating just to, to lose to the Knicks, I guess. But I, I mean, it was, it's just a strange game to watch. Strange game. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, I thought this game was, was the number one case study to, you know, why Kimba needs, needs offensive help. Um, you know, at the end of that game, you know, in the Hornets are up 99, 93, you think, man, if we can get, if we get one more bucket here, you know, you start to feel like the defense can close this thing out. And the Hornets' offense just stalls, you know, and they do not have another option um, outside of Kimba to go get a bucket. And really the problem is, 
the, you see Kim at the end of the game, he's gassed. He needs possessions off of the ball. Um, you know, that's part of why Batum's out there to get Kim off the ball more. But, you know, I'm not talking about getting him off the ball, bringing, you know, stagger screen or, or, or action to him. I'm talking about somebody else stepping up and going to get a basket uh, when that guy is just too tired to, to take it all on his shoulders. And last night, I think you saw that late in the game. He was gassed. Um, you know, he was trying to get away from the ball and let's let Batum, you know, work for a few minutes. Uh, and Batum had just not been capable of it, of especially here in the past month or so. Um, so I think last night was case study number one of until the Hornets get another score, another guy that can go get his own bucket, create his own shot. Um, they're not going to be able to hold these leads, especially against teams that uh, that have some offensive firepower. So I thought that was the most frustrating aspect to this game for me. But there were many, and we're going to walk through some of them. Brian, um, anything you saw through those four quarters that, that made you want to pull your hair out? Just one thing. Yeah. I know you probably right. got five. Uh, but. <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, the I would say, honestly, the, the final eight minutes, Bellinelli, after he made the last shot, they were stuck at nine. They were stuck at uh, 99 points for almost like over, I think, over six minutes. And in the final eight minutes of the game, only 0.5 points per possession, a net of minus 60. They were only three of 16 shooting after that Bellinelli make, one of 10 on threes. And they had four turnovers and let New York shoot a little under 55, uh, a little under 50% to close out. And Lee, Lee stuck some big shots for them, too. That was clearly the most frustrating part for me, especially because. New York is a they're just they're a dumb basketball team like they were Courtney Lee was killing the Hornets down the stretch and they're still running isolations and post-ups for Carmelo and of course he sticks the he sticks the dagger but by the way he was six for 20 on contested shots last night so it was just it's a frustrating loss to lose to them they Porzingis was cooking earlier in the game and then they just totally went away from him actually and it's frustrating to lose kind of a I don't want to say a must must win but to lose a, a very important game against a team yeah. that I just yeah. don't think very highly of, even though I like right. Rosek as a coach and stuff like that. Yeah, I thought that, um, you know, I, I thought that this game was a Courtney Lee <laughs> revenge game. I, I, there in the end, you, it's like you could see it on his face. It was jumping off the screen to me. That guy wanted it so bad late in that game. He, he definitely has something out for Charlotte. Um, I mean, just the way he played late last night in the fourth quarter is proof to that. I mean, he he – you know, has some red ass for not being valued as much as he thought he should have been by the Hornets, and and he let him know that with it with his performance, scoring those six straight points, uh, and tying the game last night, and and then to Brian's point, the offense is dead. Uh, Mello finally makes a contested jumper, and uh, and that pretty much does it. So, um, all right, just kind of scanning through. You know, I thought I, I do want to give New York some credit here. They they had a balanced scoring attack last night. You know, as bad as Carmelo was. You know, you, you, all of a sudden you look up, you know, Porzingis gets his 18, Courtney Lee gets 16, Derrick Rose, who only played 21 minutes after he leaves the game with an injury, uh, still gets 13, had a good first half. Brandon Jennings comes off the bench. He might have been the difference, honestly. Uh, he gets 15, and I really think Brandon Jennings, the reason he plays so much in that second half, obviously, you know, Derrick Rose is out, but, man, he really wore Kimba down with his energy, I thought. Uh, I thought that played as much of a factor late in this game to the Hornets 
um, kind of losing steam offensively as anything. Brandon Jennings, man, golly, he just made Kimball work for everything on both ends of the floor, and I think it took a lot out of Kimba. And then Kyle O'Quinn, you know, he gets 10 points, seven important rebounds, a few big offensive rebounds. So, you know, as it, frustrating as it is, to Brian's point, to lose to a team that you feel like is just not a very – well-run team a, a stupid team to, to quote you brian but but they were balanced and uh you know and i thought they did do enough in the end to give themselves a chance to win this one i think we need to give credit to marvin uh he was uh letting the ball fly last night yeah. five of nine from three-point line and all, as always he does well on the boards and and does well on defense and i do think that that porzingis actually had some success early because and i, I don't know if it's in marvin's mindset or if it's the hornets mindset he he likes to help down a lot whether it's someone that's um maybe if it's rose driving or um whoever whoever may be in the post mellow i think that's kind of why porzingis was was hitting his shots early because uh marvin was helping off of him a little bit but on the offensive end marvin you know killed it from three killed it I love when Marvin starts sticking uh trailer threes that 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 I think yeah. the offense sticks on a different look uh, when when they're kind of coming on a secondary break in, in Marvin's trail and uh, they they pitch back to him for three, it just it open it feels like it opens up everything else after that. I mean, those are the easiest threes to make. Like you catch them in stride. I mean, those 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 threes are really easy to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, when Marvin is able to step into that jump shot um, from three, you know, and step into it, you know, there's a very high percentage of those are going in. That's a good point, Brian. It does open up everything for Charlotte because. You know, if, if they get into that semi-fast break mode and, and Marvin is trailing the play, that draws a lot of defensive gravity towards the three-point line as, as the anxiety level rises because if he catches and he's able to step into it again, you know, he, he's probably going to knock that thing down. So guys got to jump up to the three-point line on that kind of action. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like this year, you know, it just it, – it feels like – it feels like that was such – it was a much bigger fold to the Charlotte, to Charlotte's offense last year than it has been so far this year. Um, and and wh- where that starts, to be honest, is Marvin getting on the glass uh, more. You know, if he's able to get on the glass, hit the outlet, and then trail the play, and now naturally you're kind of into that action. But you know, last night he only has three three rebounds. But absolutely great point, Richie. You know, give Marvin credit offensively. He's been a bright spot for the Hornets, kind of during this ten game struggle. Uh, that they've seen 12-game struggle, whatever it is now. On both ends of the floor, he's attacking closeouts as he has all season long, and now we're starting to see that uptick from behind the arc, uh, which it's going to need to continue uh, if the Hornets expect to win some games, kind of as this roster is constructed right now. Um, Anything else that we want to touch on in this New York game? I mean, MKG's play again. I mean, he he played well in Golden State, played well uh, last night against the Knicks. Same things like he's getting into those cutting lanes, finding, you know, those open lanes and getting those easy baskets at the rim. Not a lot of them were contested. And then he I think he played great defense, great defense on on Mello. I, I, I agree. And uh, two things to to, to to add in here. I think I think the point of Jennings uh, being dogging Kemba is spot on. Kemba was gassed and they even tried running Kemba off some floppy some single double stuff and he just couldn't I mean he didn't have the burst to beat to beat Jennings you know around a around a, an off the ball screen uh one other positive though they did run with Frank at the five and Marvin at the four for five minutes last night along with Kemba Batum and Kid Gilchrist uh 105 points for 100 possessions was pretty good 
Uh, a net rating of plus 35. Defensively, only 70 points per 100 possessions. And if rebounding were a concern, they grabbed 100% of available defensive rebounds with Marvin at the 4, uh, MKG at the 3, and Frank at the 5. I kind of wish Clifford had actually tried this lineup a little bit down the stretch as opposed to making sure he had Hawes or Hibbert out there at the, at the close of the game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's the same conversation. I don't know why Clifford you know, feels that he has to have a true center on the floor, you know, especially when Zeller's out. I mean, get creative. Like, why yeah. Why does Hawes need to be out there? And last night was a perfect example why Spencer Hawes is just not good at basketball. Um, you know, he, you know, offensively, you know, if he doesn't see an outside shot go in early, you know, he's going to make questionable decisions, which he did last night. Defensively, you might as well just play with four. Uh, you know, again, last night, for the most part, he, he's pretty much worthless out there. Cannot even if you put him into a pick and roll situation, you're you're dead. You literally are playing with four defenders. So, you know, again, I don't know why we just don't you know why Clifford is not more open minded to putting a guy like Marvin on the on the opposing team center. If it's not, you know, one of the best behemoth centers in the league, which we weren't facing last night. Uh, but, you know, you live with the results and, and we hope that Clifford will be more open minded. Uh, you know, down the road, because I think the statistical support is there that you should try it more. The last thing I want to talk about in this game, I forgot this earlier, is Nick Batum. So he almost has a triple double. So if you look at the box score, you say, man, wow, what, you know, what a, what a line. 15 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists. But I got to say, it, it, it didn't even feel like he really had that good of a game. I want to get your guys' thoughts on Nick Batum and his. His offensive um, inconsistency, uh, low confidence recently, and then the turnovers. Like, they're just the turnovers that Batum commits are unforced errors. It feels like a hundred percent of them, and I know I know that's that's not true. It's not hundred percent of them, but but yeah. it feels like that, right? It just, it feels like he's taking. And I know this is his game, right? Like you have to live and die with this with Batum, but like he's taking too many chances right now, and. I can't imagine Clifford, a guy that preaches do not turn the ball over. I don't know how he's like stomachs watching Batum sometimes. I know he's dishing out a lot of assists, but these five turnover games, which we've seen far too many of recently, yep. have got to they've got to stop. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's it's becoming more of an occurrence in January, especially you know recently. He just you know last night he was leaving his feet and not knowing if he was going to shoot or pass. And then he had this one turnover, which is probably the worst of the game, where he was he left his feet and then he passed it out to Kemba near the top of the key, and it was it was a bad pass, and, and Rose just took it all the way for a layup. You know, you can't have turnovers at midcourt, especially with an explosive player like like Rose. And in this month of January, he's averaging three turnovers a game, three turnovers a game, which is the highest of any month this year. So he's got to get that under control. And I think because he has these great passes. It gives him the confidence to kind of think that he can make any pass. Um, yeah. So it, it is one of those things where you have to live with it because that's the type of player that Batum is because he does rack up those assists. Yeah, so a it, few things that I've noticed recently, and Brian, I, I'll throw it to you. Yeah. <clears throat> Number one, teams have realized if you're physical with Batum, you, you're going to get him out of his game. So that's the first thing. And then that kind of leads into – Guarding the ball screen against Nick Batum, blitz him and and bump him. You know, like make sure there's some sort of contact. If you if you hedge really hard on that ball screen and he has to go into your body and make a play 
and you kind of create that trap scenario defensively, he's going to make a bad decision. I feel like 60 to 70% of the time, he's going to throw the ball to the opposition. And I think teams have picked up on that. I, it's just kind of an eye test thing, but I feel like teams have been way more aggressive guarding him in the pick and roll here recently by just blitzing him and trapping him than I'd seen earlier in the season. And I think that just kind of leads back to be physical with him. That's the scouting report. You want to get him off his game, bump him, get up in his airspace, you know, make him work. If you're physical with Nick Batum, he, you're going to, you're going to make him very uncomfortable. Uh, no, no doubt. And with, with Batum last night of those five turnovers, two of them came in the fourth quarter uh, when, when this team was kind of melting down and Charlotte is, is is a they're a, they're a fun team. They they play hard. They're connected, but because of the bench and some of the offensive limitations, this the margins are so low. You know, it's one thing if the Golden State Warriors are going to be loose with the basketball, right? And they can because it's going to because they can get they can rain a three. They can just bang a three down in the next possession. Right. Charlotte's margins are so low, and it's just in these high leverage situations, you can't really afford having someone being kind of flip with the basketball like like Batum is and 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 was last night and. Uh, and I think that that is kind of bleeding over into to his shooting. His numbers are down. Uh, I mean, not just from the field, and not just be up from beyond the arc too. Uh, if you if you break it down even further, uh, catch and shoot threes. He's at thirty four percent this year. Last season he was close to thirty seven percent. Pull up threes this season down to twenty seven percent. That was pull up threes last season thirty one percent. Here's kind of the real kicker: inside ten feet. Uh, down to 53.8% this season, last season 63%. And again, kind of to your point of uh, of teams being of being a little physical with him, uh, when they when he has a, a quote-unquote tight defender on him, 37%. That's a defender within two to four feet, uh, an effective field goal percentage of 42%. And, and last season that was 39% and an effective field goal rate of uh, 43%. So, it, but... But really, his numbers are down shooting everywhere, and I think some of that physicality plays into it a little bit as well. Yeah, and Brian, a lot less of Batum's offense in terms of field goal attempts, are, are a lot less of those are coming from the three-point line this year. I, I did right. uh, I that the other night, and, and I couldn't – I can't really put my finger – I probably need to look this up and do a little bit more research on this. But, you know, it feels like Batum shouldn't you – know, okay, so let me start Less of the offense is coming from the three-point line this year. He's not taking as many threes. So why yep. is that? The logical reason would be to think, all right, so he's the ball handler more often. He's in the pick and roll more often. He's having to create more offense and be the, the number one distributor in Charlotte's offense You know, with, with the starters. But that, that's not true because it can't be true because Kimba leads the league, or at least he's top three in pick and roll situations. Uh, his usage rate is the highest on the team. Yep. So – the only so the truth to this is that Batum's confidence shooting the basketball has gone has gone down way down, and his you know the the byproduct of that is that uh, the amount of three point attempts that he that he's taken this year is down as well. Um, that's the only way to explain it to me. I mean I, again I'd have to research it more. His confidence level is really down. He does not want to take that three point shot. Uh, I think that's another reason why you've kind of seen him come off these screens this year and hunt that that defender that chases him around the screen, kind of make sure there's contact and then kind of flail his body up and draw that whistle. The Hornets have gotten really good at that. But like if you're a confident shooter, you're coming off that action, you're getting the ball, and you're you're getting into your shot, right? Like you're you're getting up, yep. you're letting it go. Batum's just that you know he's 
he's thinking his his way too much through the game right now uh, instead of just playing basketball and reacting. And, you know, watching basketball and, and coaching, you know, and I coached high school for, for four or five years, you know, when, when a player is not confident in his offensive game, you know, he is doing those little things like catching, getting the ball out of his hands, catching, going to the rim, you know, looking for a body to bump into, something to take away from him, getting in to, you know, to his shot, to his action uh, that he's just not real sure about. And when I watch Nick Batum right now, that's kind of what I see. I see a guy who's very uncertain uh, about his jump shot, about where his offense is going to come from. But, you know, at the same time, stuff has got to go through him. You know, if it's not going through Kimba, it's got to go through him. And so Batum's got to figure this stuff out pretty quickly. I, I agree. He's, his three-point attempt rate is down to 39% this year. So, uh, you know, 205 shots he takes, give or take, come come from beyond the arc. It was about 46% last season. What I, what I will say is he is getting to the free-throw line a little bit more, and he's turning it over a little less this year, which is kind of one of the reasons why his uh, some of his kind of catch-all efficiency numbers, like PER and, and win shares per 48, BPM, they're similar, uh, basketball plus minus, they're similar to what they were a season ago, but he's still not really giving us what we need. And I think part of the, uh, maybe I should hesitate to say we there, but I think one of the one of the issues is, is people who follow the team, fans, media, whatever, maybe we expected and now need more out of, out of Batum with, the, with some of the offseason departures and with the, with the extension that he signed in the, uh, in the, in the last summer. And uh, and it just really hasn't quite been there. He's still kind of about the same player, just not shooting as well from the field. And and that's a little disappointing because I think everyone was probably hoping to see an uptick in all of that stuff. And in fact, they need it now, especially without guys like Lynn and Lee and right. uh, Al Jefferson too. That's a good point, especially with that second unit. When they when they place him in that second unit, we're going to need more from him offensively. Right. And he's just exactly. not he's not bringing it. He's not bringing it, and his confidence exactly. is real low. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, Charlotte paid him to be that guy. Um, you know, they gave him the massive contract to be the second guy next to Kemba. And, you know, Brian, you might be right. Maybe, you know, maybe he just is what he is. And we expect him to be, you know, more now with, with you know, the losses that we had to the roster from last season um, where he didn't have to be that guy as much. But, you know, Charlotte has paid him to be that. And, and this is Batum's opportunity in this league to – uh, you know, to prove, you know, that he can be the cog of a roster or at least one of those. And, uh, and you know, this, this next, this second half of the season is going to be very, very telling for Nick Batum. You know, I, there's a, Richie and I've talked about this. There's a lot of different ways that Charlotte can go, you know, not only as the trade deadline approaches, but, you know, into the off season, it feels like they have the core together, but everything has to be built around Kimba. And, you know, if this continues, if Batum continues to struggle, you know, in efficiency offensively and and just maybe doesn't prove to be a great fit next to Kimball Walker, you know, did we start asking the question, all right, uh, you know, they can probably move Batum. Um, should we kind of yeah. hit a little mini reset here and see what we can get? You know, I don't think that question's off the table either uh, because I think there's plenty of they're not there's not plenty of proof, but there's some proof in the pudding here that Kimba and Batum might not be as an incredible of a fit as a lot of people uh, wanted to think at the end of last season. And I think that, Brian, your point about the guys that we lost off this roster have made that 
uh, more glaring. Uh, but you know, we'll continue to monitor that through the through the second half of the season. Let's talk about something a little bit more positive, and that is Kimball Walker being named an Eastern Conference NBA All Star, the first one in Charlotte since Gerald Wallace in 2010. Kimba is now the seventh All-Star in Charlotte franchise history uh, next to, uh, again, Gerald Wallace. Larry Johnson was twice as a Hornet. Alonzo Mourning was twice as a Hornet. Glenn Rice was three times as a Hornet. Eddie Jones once and Baron Davis once. Man, it feels good. It, it feels really good. You know, as, as, as negative as, as things have been here in the past, really in January for the Hornets, um, to get an all-star, to get a guy in, in, in front of a, you know, a national TV audience and, and really in front of the entire league wearing a Hornets jersey, uh, you know, it makes you proud. If you've been a fan for a really long time since the beginning of this whole thing, which, which I certainly have and I, I'm sure you guys have, kind of give me one or two things, uh, positive thughts about Kemba being named an all-star. Richie, we'll start with you. Just kind of piggyback off what you're saying. It, it's a great honor for him, but it, it's hard to get excited for this because with the way that our team is playing, kind of like, you know, lessens the, 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 the excitement about this. And I'm sure that Kemba would trade this, this all-star if this team would turn around. Uh, but one thing that I just want to take a note of with Kemba that I just love, you guys might give measurable things. I love his intangibles, okay? Like his toughness, his grittiness. He sparks our offense when when it's down. I and mean, we saw that uh, yesterday against the Knicks in the second quarter when that offense was just struggling. Clifford had to put him back in towards the end of the second quarter, and he sparked like a mini run to give us some confidence heading into the uh, the halftime there. And he just gets our players involved, the crowd involved. They both they, they all feed off of him. And then another mm-hmm. thing, intangibles on defense, we talked about this last episode, he will go through those screens. He's underrated on defense. He withstands the contact. He's top three in the NBA with uh, 19 charges taken. So the little things like that, uh, I don't think we give enough credit for for Kemba. I mean, you know, obviously the shooting percentages are up. You know, the points are up. But let's look at his intangibles too, and that's kind of what I love about Kemba. I I agree with everything you said. You know, I I don't know where basketball, professional basketball in North Carolina would be without this guy. I mean, the, the stat the stats bear it out. I mean, it's it's impossible to say, you know, if they don't draft this guy in 2011, you know, what happened. We can't go back six years and and retrace everything. But it's hard to imagine where the NBA would be without without in North Carolina without Kemba. Uh, he's just been he means so much to this team, and um, you know, he's one of the best value players in the NBA too. I think a lot of people kind of in 2014 kind of poked fun at the some of the most respected basketball minds in the media kind of thought Charlotte was crazy to give this guy uh, a 48 million dollar contract which now might be I think I'm guessing Steel. along with I'm guessing along with Isaiah Thomas and Steph Curry that there isn't a cheaper all-star in in the in the game this year um no I would need to double check that but right about 12 million a year that's uh, just the value is is incredible, but he doesn't. He's never once mentioned it. I mean, you hear Beal and Wall. All this comes out of Washington. They're playing better, but you hear Wall all the time complaining. And I, I don't, I'm not knocking. If I were John Wall, I would be upset about it too. But Kemba doesn't say a single word. He just goes out there and plays his you know what off every freaking game, even though he he's criminally underpaid and will be for the next couple of years too. And uh, he's just a he's a super fun player to watch. And uh, it, it really we're lucky to have him here. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, you guys both make awesome points. You know, I just I like the guy that Kim is, you know, I like the person that he is. 
the competitor that he is is such rare air. You just don't see guys uh, that play that hard on both ends of the court. Um, you know, but but again, along with how hard he plays, you know, it, it it's what he does or really doesn't do and doesn't say off the court. He's all about business. He's the consummate team guy. He's he's the perfect personality and character for this Charlotte Hornets franchise. You know, a franchise that that's built off of a culture uh, of hard work. Uh, Clifford says it before the New York game last night. You know, he he. There's a quote saying, "I can't imagine." You know, because of the leadership of Kimball Walker, MKG. Uh, and guys like Marvin Williams, that anybody, any team in this league is working harder than than we are. Uh, and we all know, you know, the talent deficiency on the roster. But, you know, Kimba epitomizes everything that this franchise has become. Uh, and the hard work, um, you know, the defense, the grittiness, uh, the never quit. Uh, I mean, he all of that goes through him. So, you know, to your point, Brian, without without him. I have no idea where basketball is in the city. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not so sure it's not, it's still not, not the, the laughing stock of the NBA, you know, mm-hmm. but what's really, you know, what I think about what I thought about the other night, you know, when it, when it, when his face and name pops up on the TNT and he's named an all-star is remembering where that guy was in his first two years, really first three years of his career. You know, a lot of people were, were asking into that third year, you know, is Kimba, is he going to make it in the NBA? Yeah, he can't shoot. He's never going to be able to shoot. Um, you know, teams are just going to sag under him. Uh, he's not big enough, you know, to make a difference on the on the defensive end. Uh, he's not good at finishing at the rim, you know. So so what what is he really bringing? You know, people were seriously questioning, you know, if this guy was going to be a long-term NBA player. And here he is as an all-star. It just – it. It all comes full circle and points to his personality, what kind of person he is. He's that kind of guy. He's that human that you tell him he can't do something, he's going to do it. And he showed it throughout his life, throughout his career, winning a national championship at UConn. Um, you know, he he just has he plays with that heart and he plays with that you know unquestionable mentality. And I have to say, I'm biased. We're all biased, obviously, but I can't imagine there's an all-star out there that deserves it more than Kimball Walker. So, Kimball, you're probably not going to listen to this, but uh, keep playing the way you're playing and keep doing what you're doing because we're proud of you and you make Charlotte Hornets basketball really, really easy to watch and, and really easy to pull for. So anything else that you guys want to mention before we move on from this? Just, just to, just to kind of highlight, uh, there's, there's a million stats you could point out with this guy, but I would like to just pick this out. Uh, it's kind of the fearlessness of this guy. NBA defines clutch situations as fourth quarter overtime under five minutes, score within five points. And if you ever question whether this guy should be an all star or not, it just he has 89 points in these clutch situations. That's number nine in the NBA. He's shooting 51 percent from the field in clutch situations. Here's a list of players that's better than. Russell Westbrook, Isaiah Thomas, Damian Lillard, DeMarcus Cousins, Jimmy Butler, John Wall, DeMar DeRozan, James Harden, Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, and Kawhi Leonard. The only like notable guys better than that shooting percentage in these clutch situations, LeBron and Paul George and CJ McCollum. I mean, he is if you don't if you haven't seen this guy play, if I lived in Portland, I would want to watch Kemba play cuz he's one of the best mm-hmm. players in the league. He's nasty in the pick and roll and there are a million numbers you could point to to back that up. Right. He's maybe right. the best in the league, but man, in the, in the fourth quarter, and especially when they need a bucket, he is fearless and he's awesome too. So that's really, really fun to watch. 
he's incredible to watch, um, and, and Charlotte's lucky that, to have him, and we're going to need all of that uh, and probably a little bit more for the Hornets to uh, to get back on track in the second half of this season. Let's, uh, let, let's kind of go back to that bench discussion we were having earlier. Here, here's the question I would present, um, and you guys can just jump in here. Can the Hornets make the playoffs with, with this bench unit as currently constructed? It, or is it just kind of a matter of time before they fall below that eight seed in the Eastern Conference? Um, you know, can this bench unit get them there, or is it inevitable you have to have a trade to get to the playoffs? To get to the playoffs, I think that we could make it with this bench. I mean, we've seen the ups and downs with this bench throughout the year. We would probably be a seven or eight seed with this bench. Uh, we definitely wouldn't make any noise in the playoffs with, with the way that this bench is currently constructed. And obviously, we need to get people back healthy with like Zeller because that's definitely shortening you know the, the depth in that department. So to answer your question, yes, we can make the playoffs, but I don't think that it would be you know a four or five or a six seed with this team. Yeah, I tend to agree with that too. Uh, I think I think kind of the goal, at least for me, heading into the season was I was hopeful that they could maybe host a first round playoff series and kind of get to that get to that four line. And I agree with Richie with the way the with the way the bench is currently constructed and playing. I just don't see that as a realistic possibility without some addition. Yeah, I I, I definitely don't. I think it's time to start understanding that you know, minus a a, a small miracle, the, the Hornets are not are not going to host a, a playoff series. I and mean, Washington's playing way, way, way too good. Probably the best in the NBA right now, honestly. Boston is locked into a top four seed. I mean, obviously you got Cleveland and Toronto, so. You know, I, I don't think there's any way, but you know, I, I think the Hornets can probably can probably still make the playoffs as currently constructed. I, I would I would probably tell you that it's going to be an eight seed. Uh, I just think I think Chicago's just still better from top to bottom on their roster that, than Charlotte right now. But it, it's still there's still enough of a traffic jam in the middle of that Eastern Conference, so where the Hornets could jump up to the five or six seed. You know, if they can get, if they can make some traction uh, in this trade deadline, you know, if they can make some kind of significant move to get a guy that can play with the bench, but also play with Kimba late and Batum late in games, it's kind of a second score. Uh, I, I don't know who that guy is. You know, Richie and I have, we've talked numerous times, <laughs> you know, yeah. about, about possible scenarios. Um, and, and we can spend a few minutes on that, Brian, maybe if you have some ideas, but but yeah, so to answer the, you know that question, I think they can make it, but by just barely, just barely with this this roster is is currently constructed. So Brian, are there any? Do you have you tossed around any trade ideas uh, or thought about some trade ideas for for the Hornets as kind of that second score? Yeah, I think, and I I, got, I kind of think all of us who who follow this team are kind of kicking around the same names, right? And I don't, I haven't exactly gone on to the ESPN trade machine and. And and played around with that too much, but Good. I mean, you guys, yeah, you guys, you guys know the you guys know the names, you know, uh, Wilson Chandler from the Nuggets, Richie. I think you and I were kind of tweeting about that uh, semi recently. Yeah. Will Barton from the Nuggets. Uh, there was discussion over Brandon Knight of the Suns, but you know he's he's under contract in, into through twenty twenty. Uh, he's currently in year two of a five year seventy million dollar contract. So I'm not no, sure that's you. that's yeah, I'm not sure that's feasible. I, I saw someone the other night toss out Ricky Rubio. I don't really see that one as a as a as a great fit. And he's signed through 2019 and owed 32 million dollars, including this season. 
Um, you know, the P.J. Tucker is a name that gets pushed out a lot. Ben McLemore and Darren Collison from the Kings. But uh, these guys are all they're all fine. But it always comes down to what are you what are you getting up what are you giving up to get these guys and um, you know again the rotation is so is so razor thin right now that it that it's it, it's it's tough to it's tough to see the kind of jenga effect that might happen if you pulled out oh if we trade Jeremy Lamb well then you know what is that what does that do I'd love to see them get a shooter uh, you know Will Barton is a pie in the sky kind of guy because he can shoot threes and create his own shot I like Wilson Chandler a lot too just because he can play a couple positions. And and hit to hit some threes, although he's 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 like right around league average this year. But any of those guys, guys that can create their own shot, play a couple positions and hit threes, I, I would take any of them, especially if they're not you know a guy like Brandon Knight who's oh he's under contract for three more seasons after this one too. Yeah, I those are all those are all very interesting names. I think Will Barton is kind of quietly becoming the most interesting guy at this trade deadline. I mean, you know, you have your obvious names, Carmelo Anthony being one of them. Probably nothing happens there. But yeah. Will Barton on a massively underpaid uh, guy yeah. for some offensive firepower off the bench. Um, just go look at his numbers. If any, if you guys, listeners, get a chance, uh, he's doing awesome things for Denver off the bench. And it's not just this year. I mean, Will Barton, I think his coming out party was last season. Uh, he's making 3.5 this year. He's going to make 3.5 next year. Uh, the Nuggets are going to be asking something for him. They're going to be asking for a real asset coming back. Uh, we'll see who's who's most desperate and willing to pay the price. But I wouldn't count the Hornets out there if the Nuggets make him available. And you know that remains to be seen because as it stands today, if I'm not mistaken, they're still in the eight seed out in the West. So you know I I think they more they may want to just keep. Keep seeing what this roster can do. I mean, they really want Jokic and, and the rest of those young guys out there to develop. So I don't see why they don't just go ahead and chase the playoffs. But if they if they do make Barton available, I I think the Hornets are aggressive in trying to land him. So I think that's a very interesting name to watch. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. But the issue is, what, wouldn't they want defense? And do we have any to, to offer? I mean, I would definitely love Barton on this team. I think he would provide a scoring punch off the bench. He's like you said, his salary is pretty low. Uh, but in terms of what they would be asking for for us, they would need defense, correct? I mean, I, I don't think we have anything to offer in that standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Lamb's the one yeah. guy, maybe you know, maybe Lamb, but like that. But I mean, he's not like a stopper or anything like that, you know. Right. But it's, there's not, there's not, there's not much in the in the in the kind of in the arsenal in terms of that, though. Yeah, there's not much in the basket for, <clears throat> for the Hornets to part ways with. Um, you know, it, it would probably, and here's what it's going to come down to: if the Hornets want to land a guy who can come in and seriously help, um, there's because they don't have, you know, an asset in terms of a, a real human basketball player on the roster <laughs> that they can move and and make a difference with right now. Uh, that they're going to have to part ways with a first round draft pick. And if you know, Cho is a smart enough guy. If if he could put the right protections on that pick. I think you can – I mean the national media will tell you it's a retarded deal for Charlotte no matter what they do. But you know, I, I would I would beg to to offer the thought that if they put the right protections on it, that they can they can send out a first-round pick for a guy you know, like Will Barton and it makes some sense down the road. I mean you know, it kind of like in the form of what Marco, what Marco Bellinelli was to Charlotte. You know, people still want to tell you that was a bad deal for Charlotte. And, you know, Malachi, Malachi Richardson might end up being something, but Bellinelli has been the only reason the Hornets have actually even been a real NBA bench this season, especially early, earlier in the year. So, you know, sometimes you got to give up future assets, quote unquote, however you define that and value that 
you know, to get guys in come help right now. And on top of all that, I think the Hornets are, you know, they want to win now. I mean, there's not, they could, you know, have a mini reset, but that's not the plan. You know, I think we all know the plan is to win now, win this season. So it might, it might be time to start having that conversation about, all right, do we need to part ways with the future first? I mean, do we want to get better now or do we want to just keep running this thing back with a near 500 team with this roster as it's constructed? And I think there's enough evidence there to show you that, you know, that's not going to get you real far, you know? So is it this season they're going to make that move? I don't know, but that move is going to come at some point. And I think it's at least willing. I think it's it's time to at least start having the conversation seriously now. I think we can all agree that we need offense, right? Like you guys both agree that that's what we need. Yeah, definitely. The, the Hornets are close to top five in defensive efficiency, and but they're middle of the pack in, in points per, per points per possession on offense. So, uh, yeah, I think I think they need scoring and shooting. It's just painful to watch that that bench unit. Just, just that's what yeah. we need. Man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't really. Yeah, the bench unit is. I don't know. If there is an answer for that. I mean, they're struggling on both ends of the court. Um, you know, Clifford's just trying to buy minutes with them and and. <laughs> just hope the team can stay in the game but but yeah I mean I think the answer to the question is definitely the most important need is is offense at the end of the game next to Kimba you know when you try to hold these leads but all right so here's a fun discussion I wanted to have Brian you and you and I were going back and forth about a little bit earlier um I know you're an ACC basketball guy so here's what I want to ask you first are you as in-depth with your stats about ACC basketball as you are with the Hornets uh, yeah, I'd like to think that I am. Um, so actually my, uh, my, my full-time job is I actually write for this publication called the ACC sports journal or accsports.com. And, um, I have my, my synergy sports, uh, subscription. There's, there aren't as many good publicly available college basketball stats are there. The NBA does a fantastic job making a lot of this stuff, um, easy to find with just a few minutes of research. But, uh, yeah, I think I've got some, some decent stuff on uh, some college some college prospects, too, specifically within the confines of the ACC. All right, awesome. So uh, as the Hornets, you know, continue on this downslide here, uh, you know, there might come a day where we find ourselves in the lottery uh, this season or having this conversation about prospects more seriously. But tell me, what is your – who is your favorite draft prospect in the ACC right now and why? The – my favorite draft prospect in the ACC. We're not. He's not. He's not falling to the Hornets because I, I think even if they land in the lottery, they're not going to get a top three or four pick. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. from NC State is 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 just the real deal. I was in Cameron uh, this past Monday to to watch them beat Duke, and he was just uh, he was just incredible. And I actually I wrote something on this yesterday. Uh, the the last six half court possessions they had in that game against Duke, Smith scored or assisted on every basket. And on five of those six possessions, the, the state did the same thing. They put two shooters in the corners, and then they stacked Abdul Malik Abu and Maverick Rowan at the top, and they and that, like staggered them at the top of the key. And they were having running a high ball screen with Abu uh, off Smith, and he was either going to the hoop, and or if that wasn't there, then Rowan was sending a back pick on Abu's guy, and he was looking for Abu on rolls, lobs. And they also they also tried another time too, where Abu then just went and set a little down screen, and Rowan curled off of it for a three. So Dennis Smith Jr. is my favorite. He's I, I think he if there weren't the one and done rule in place, Dennis Smith Jr. would be playing for an NBA team right now. Uh, and everyone says he can get more athletic because he's still recovering from ACL surgery, which is scary because if you saw the dunk he threw down at the end of the game, uh, it's tough to think of a guy being more explosive than that. 
He's my favorite guy. And then the my, another guy that I like a lot, who is probably kind of close, kind of in the top 10 as far as prospects go, uh, Jonathan Isaac at Florida State is uh, is a really, really special player. He's, he's a great on cuts, putbacks, and he's a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. He's got guard skills for a dude who's 6'10", 6'11", and uh, he kind of floats between the three and the flo- three and the four, and hangs out on the perimeter. If you got, if you could somehow get Jonathan Isaac, I, I think he has the chance to be not only a starter in the NBA, but could be a, become a. I, it's tough to you don't ever forecast these guys as all stars. It's way too early. He's 19 years old or whatever. But I think he has the. I think Isaac has the the ability to become a a, a seriously plus NBA player. Uh, however you do, however you kind of quantify or define that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're right about Dennis Smith. He's the best prospect in the ACC and probably a sh- probably a shoe-in top three pick. Do you think that would be accurate? Yeah. As of, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and Isaac's interesting. So he's a lot of work to do on his body. He's still rail thin, uh, but his yeah. measurables are kind of – they're off the charts. So he's that prototypical stretch – you know, he's – He's a prototypical power forward in the NBA as the game is played today. You know, he can play inside out. He can guard four positions, maybe well, maybe five positions. Um, you know, so I, I think when it's all said and done, you're right. Isaac should be a lottery pick and probably out of the Hornets' wheelhouse. Well, maybe unless they're in the lottery, which is definitely still <laughs> possible. Right. Um, so my favorite guy, not not the best prospect, but my favorite prospect in the ACC is Dwayne Bacon. I, I thought I watched yeah. him. Here in Charlottesville, I mean, literally single-handedly beat. He was incredible. I mean, I have not seen a performance like that against Virginia, which you know because you watch a lot of basketball. I mean, that's the best defense in the ACC. It's the toughest defense to score on. And Dwayne Bacon mm-hmm. made it look like child's play. Uh, and the way he played at the end of the game in terms of wanting the basketball, uh, that takes a supreme confidence. Um, and I wasn't quite sure – that he could be that kind of score that consistently um, and, and draft boards are still not giving him enough respect, but tell me, give me a little bit of insight on what you think about Dwayne Bacon. I think he's a first round pick, uh, but a lot of sites would still tell you otherwise. And I, I don't think he's getting the respect he deserves right now. Uh, I'm with you. I think he's, I think he's a first round pick too. And and if you get, I think if you got him anywhere outside of the lottery, uh, you should be, you could be pretty happy about it. Um, just looking at some of his some of his numbers here, in, he's one of the best AC, one of the best players in the ACC in transition, uh, according to Synergy, shooting sixty four percent from the field in transition. That's in the eighty sixth percentile nationally. Uh, he's a good offensive rebounder. Uh, he's shooting sixty percent on putbacks this season, and he's he's operated in the uh, the pick and roll as a ball handler a fair amount. Sixteen percent of his possessions have been out of the pick and roll, and again, like you said. Not only is Virginia a great defensive team, they're, they've just been notorious the last probably four years as far as if they're going up, up against a good offensive perimeter player, they take that guy out of the game. I've seen it with Cat mm-hmm. Barber at NC State. I saw it with T.J. Ward. Now, normally it was Malcolm Brogdon doing this, and we see how he's blossomed to a pretty darn good NBA player already with the Bucks. But, uh, but Bacon doing what he did and sticking that game winner, I think after I think it was was a guy that kind of hit the with the the go ahead shot for Virginia and then Bacon came right back down and you know they run they play uh, they run him off down screens but he can go get his own shot too and uh, he's he's a really uh, a really impressive player uh, he's one of those guys who maybe could have bounced after last season but came back and has taken his game to another level he's shooting forty two percent on catch and shoots this season 
Uh, there's no doubt this guy can play in the NBA, uh, and I think any team would be happy to have him as a, a wing that can really provide some serious offensive scoring punch. Yeah, he and and I think your point to him playing 16% of his possessions out of the pick and roll this season, that's that's the question, right? Like, can he be a creator with the ball? I think we know he can score. I think everyone knows he has an NBA-ready body. Um, he's only 6'5", but if you look at him, you would mistake him to be 6'7 or 6'8 just because his mm-hmm. body is already that filled out, and he, he can he's going to be able to hold his own defensively, especially in the NBA on day one. So he should be able to contribute right away. Um, to answer your question, yes, it was. The UVA runs a little little hammer action. They hit guy in the corner. Yeah. He sticks yep. the three with about 10 seconds left to give UVA a one-point lead. The place is going nuts. I thought this game is over. I mean, there's no way, there's no yeah. way Florida State can answer this call. Bacon demands the ball, dribbles up the court, pulls right up in every single UVA defender's face and sticks it to win that game. And yeah, for his 30th point of the day. And I thought, wow, this kid, he's a player. I mean, he's going to be really good on the next level. So it's a guy to keep in mind for the Hornets. I think he's probably in play for that middle of the first round, maybe, you know, 17 to 25 range. So it's certainly a name to keep in mind about, uh, uh, you know, for the Hornets. Uh, with I, I I agree, and he stuck that shot that Bacon made that game winning shot over Isaiah Wilkins, who is probably Virginia's Wilkins, best yeah. defender this year, and is a bigger defender too. Uh, I thought that was pretty impressive of of Bacon there. I'd also keep an eye on not not to go off on another tangent here, and I won't, but I think Justin Jackson at UNC is having a great year. Uh, he's a guy that threw his name in the draft waters last season, came back. He's he's a six eight wing, and he's. He's sticking, catch-and-shoot threes, running them off pin downs, running out elevator door plays for North Carolina. And also he's one of those guys who is, his efficiency numbers out of pick and roll and isolation are some of the best in the conference. And the ACC is, uh, is, is a powerhouse this year. And watching him dominate has been really impressive. So he's another guy I think maybe a little bit lower prospect than, than Bacon, but there, I think he's another one of those guys that will go mid to late first round and, and can be a player from day one in the NBA too. Yeah, I, I like Jackson. I, he's he's had a little bit of a he's had an interesting college career. I, I think a lot of yeah. Carolina fans would tell you they've they've been frustrated with him. I think this year he's he's been the most consistent that he's been. Uh, he, he's a senior, right? Is that right, Brian? He's a junior, no, junior, third year, third he's, year guy. He's a junior. Okay, he's a junior. Okay, so that changes that changes the conversation a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's one of the guys that's going to need to come in to any team and probably because of his age, be ready to go day one, right? Like you're yep. going to need to get in minutes right away. I don't know that that, you know, I don't know if that is the, ter- I don't know if that's the deal for bacon kind of in, in the Malik Beasley uh, situation. You know, he hasn't really played this season uh, last year coming out of Florida state. I, I don't know that bacon needs to come in right away and contribute. So I, I think in the end, he's probably a little better of a prospect, but um, yeah, yeah. Another name I wanted to mention, uh, and he hasn't had a good year. Last year he had a ridiculous season, and that's Jerome Blossom game for Clemson. Um, you know, a guy shoot- that I – yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, my – Just I was just tossing it out there. Shooting has just fallen off a cliff. But, yeah, keep, keep – exactly. uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you here. Yeah, no, no, no. And that's that's the question that, you know, scouts are going to have to answer with him is, you know, is that is this kind of just a – regression to the mean you know is this an outlier or or is this more blossom game is he going to struggle to shoot the ball you know at the next level I mean I think a guy like Malcolm Brogdon that's a good it's not a comp but we've seen you know the question marks about him being able to shoot the ball on the next level uh were real 
but he's shown that he can stretch it all the way to the three-point line in the NBA. Uh, I, I think you watch Blossom game shoot the basketball. You look at his form. It's not broken, and I would say it's a lot better no. than Brogdon's is, to be honest. You know, there's not that hitch. There's not the weird release. Yep. But, yeah, he's just struggling this year. But, I mean, there's a guy who can guard one through four. Uh, he can handle the basketball. He, I think he's 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 close. Uh, probably not as good of a prospect as Jonathan Isaac, but he's close to that prototypical uh, uh, power forward in the NBA. Probably can play some small forward in stretches. But just a few quick thoughts on Blossom game for you, Brian. I'm I'm a I was I'm a big fan despite the the shooting has fallen off of, of off a cliff but I think heading into the season he was even viewed by some scouts as the guy who could be the best senior in the draft this year uh, entering the the best four year player entering the draft this year uh, I like I like the thought of him as a stretch four in the NBA as a guy that can switch out guard guard the you know the two through two three two three fours and if he does find he's super athletic. And he can, he can put on the deck just a little bit. And if he could find that shooting touch again, I mean, he could really be a special player. Uh, but it is crazy to see how it is. Like last year um, on catch and shoot attempts, Blossom game, 1.4 points per possession. That was the third best number in the ACC in the 97th percentile nationally uh, this season, down to just 0.32 points per possession on 10.8% shooting. That's out of catch and shoots. That ranks 95th out of 97 qualified ACC players who have 10 or more catch and shoots this season, which is just, it's just inexplicable. Um, it, yeah. it's, it seems yeah. crazy that it makes me wonder if he's even like hurt or something because a simple regression of the mean is this guy hitting 30% of these, not hitting 10% of them. You know I mean? It's just, it's crazy. That said, I'm still high on him as a prospect and I still see him landing in the back end of a lot of first rounds. So uh, I, he'd be a guy that if I were picking towards the end of the first round, I would be pretty excited to have play just because I think he's a he's a great athlete. He can play a couple positions, and he's flashed at least for one season of his college career the ability to hit threes. I think we should draft him just because of his name. Yes, <laughs> it is a pretty sweet name. Blossom game, yeah, it's an amazing name. <laughs> All right, so a few things here. Number one, uh, Brian, I this is my favorite conversation to have about basketball evaluating draft prospects. So we're going to do more of this and. Uh, I can tell by just just hearing you talk about it that you like it just as much as I do. So we're going to have you on more and, and talk about this more. Uh, Richie, the second thing is this. Richie's learning a lot here. He, he's going to learn to love uh, the draft process, and, and I'm going to yeah. force him to watch more college basketball, especially ACC. Um, so, so he's kind of in the learning phases here, and he's probably just rolling his eyes at me uh, <laughs> as I say this. <laughs> and then uh, – <laughs> You'll definitely have to bring Brian on more often when it comes closer to the draft. I just – I mean, I I cannot get into college basketball that much like you guys do, and that's probably sacrilege here in you know ACC County. So I that's why I didn't chime in on that conversation, listeners. I just don't watch it, so I can't really add anything to it. He doesn't yet. He doesn't yet, but he will. So, um, all right, I think that's gonna have to uh, do it, guys. We we've gone too long, but some really good conversation today, Brian. Again, really appreciate you coming on, uh, Brian. Go ahead and. Anything you want to plug, tell people again where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find you on the interwebs, all your good stuff. Uh, first off, uh, thanks again for having me on. This was was super fun. I love – my favorite conversations usually are finding guys to, to, to kind of geek out about the NBA and specifically the Hornets with. I don't – there aren't too many people I get to do that with. So so this is a lot of, this is a lot of fun for me. And, uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at bgeis, B-G-E-I-S underscore bird on Twitter – and you can find my work in a couple different places, uh, accsports.com or the ACC Sports Journal. I, I mostly write uh, 
stats pieces on ACC basketball. And, of course, you can also find me at Sports Channel 8. That's where all of my Hornets content is. And I do some podcasts well, with my partner, uh, Brendan Witted. We do a Hornets podcast, uh, maybe not with quite the same regularity as you guys, but we, we talk some talk some Hornets there. And uh, you know that's usually where you'll find me writing about and just heaping praise on top of how awesome Kemba Walker is. And so, yeah, that's at SportsGenelate.com and at, uh, at SportsGenelate on Twitter. And, of course, like Spencer said earlier, uh, make sure to check out the, the ACC GIF uh, recaps. They're, uh, they're better than any of the, the actual statistical research I do. They're, they're much more fun. So Maybe uh, that'll sure get me into college basketball. Right. I, if, if, if anything, it, hopefully it can do that. Um, and I work with some great guys at both those sites. And um, some of the guys from Sports Channel 8, Ben Swain, Hayes Permar, uh, Weather Moose, Josh Goodson, these are, all these guys are really good dudes. And if you see them on Twitter or anything like that, any of their work, they're, uh, they're some of the best voices we have in this area on college hoops and um, on a couple other things too. So uh, keep an eye out for all those guys at Sports Channel 8. All right, awesome. That's that's all good stuff. I am familiar with all those guys. Uh, you said the name Ben Swain. I know he's he's. Let's just put it this way: he's not a UVA basketball guy. And uh, no, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's not. He's not. Uh, yeah, he is, he is not. I get it though. He's he's a Duke guy. Very opposite programs. Very opposite styles of basketball. But look, we Brian, you and I need to get on and, and talk about uh, the ACC uh, separate sometime because we're it's going to be too easy of us to go down a rabbit hole here. But um. Right. But all right, Richie, tell everyone where uh, where they can find us, subscribe, and listen to us on the go. We do have a variety of places in which you guys can check us out. Uh, Buzzbeat can be found on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Buzzbeat. Uh, you can also download the Stitcher app or search us on iTunes by just searching Buzzbeat and we'll come up. And once again, guys, just rate us and review us on iTunes. That would be great. And we just wanted to thank you guys for all your support so far. All right, awesome. Again, this was really fun, Brian. We will have you on again. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, I'm not sure what day. Uh, probably Saturday. Saturday seems to be working out well. Uh, the Hornets will be in the middle of a West Coast trip, and if they don't get this one tonight against Sacramento at home, uh, we might be really having a morbid conversation. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But, again, thanks for the support, and until next time, uh, we'll see you guys then. Thanks. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.